Okay, are you ready? Are you ready? I think I'm ready. All right, and welcome everyone to Podcast Versus Everyone, Episode 6. Uh, already a month and a half into this thing. Uh, if it was a football season, we'd be halfway through it, and it has went just as fast. Um, and uh, even some of you have stayed and have listened, so that's pretty impressive. Um, we even have a, a return listener from from Spain, I noticed. Which is yeah, how about great. that? Um, hola. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's my my Spanish is a little light. Um, two years of high school Spanish, I can ask where the bathroom is and how to order. I can order a beer. That's yeah. Those are those are. I guess those are like the two essentials in Spanish, right? Except when I when I found when I I went to uh, Spanish speaking countries like Spain and Mexico. I yeah. get really insecure about the little bit of Spanish I know, so I don't even bother <laughs> using it at all. See, now, and so that, like, when I think about um, traveling abroad, so you've traveled, like, infinitely more abroad than I have, because I've traveled exactly zero abroad other than, you know, like, across the border into, like, Tijuana, you know. But it's, like, that always, like, terrifies me, the idea of going somewhere where I don't speak any of the language, or if I do, it's just a very small amount. And it's like, it just, so as a teacher, like, I think I have students who are fairly new to this country and English is obviously not their primary language. And, and I try to like project myself onto that and think like, what on earth must that be like, like the little anxiety I feel just thinking about traveling abroad and then the actual reality of their lives. So anyway, just yeah. a little teacher, little well, teacher note there. The good thing for you is that you know English and that's the best language to know if you're traveling abroad uh, hey life is good when you're a an american right yeah, right exactly yeah. or or, or british what or british yeah whatever they don't speak real english <laughs> i don't know what you're talking about craig it's not like they invented the language or something well they've had it for longer and they've done they've done some things to it in the, in the time they've had it that so is true it. yeah well i mean if you right. you know you can always watch uh, watch Snatch or, or one of those movies if you ever want to feel good about your um, English skills. We we watch some uh, British TV and we we usually watch it with the uh, subtitles on. <laughs> <laughs> what language is this in? English. <laughs> this doesn't sound like English. Otherwise, well, we're like, just laughing at the way they're it's talking. Like with British it. English. <laughs> it's a different different language, kind of. Yeah. All right, Brad Pitt well, speaking Cockney. We can get off that. We can get off all, right. all that. Yeah, can we? I guess we'll start the podcast. Now. Let's Walk, start the podcast. Welcome. What do you think? Let's talk about some beer. Yeah, yeah. Let's. How, how about you? What have you been drinking? So yeah, so last week uh, I actually was treated to a number of different beers last week, thanks to uh, thanks to a few things. The so Valentine's Day happened, and by the way, yes, still keto, but different things happened that conspired to force me to consume beer. Um, so for Valentine's day, because my wife, Sarah loves me very much and knows me very well, uh, went to the beer store and bought me a Fremont B bomb, a 2018 B bomb. So I had that on Thursday, but since I've been reviewing a bunch of, uh, you know, barrel aged stouts lately, um, I figured I would review the one I drank on Saturday when I oddly enough ran into you and Amanda 
at engine house number nine. And I know it was like, it was funny. We were, so that's, that's even a long story too. My wife had to go to the, basically to the hospital because of some stuff and everything was okay. So we went out to dinner and went to E9 and had the uh, demon teller Saison from Holy Mountain, which was, which was fantastic. Um, and you know, it, it was a really nice change cause I have been, you know, it's winter time and drinking a lot of kind of heavy, heavy beers lately. So to have, have something that, uh, you know, is a little tart, a little fresh, um, kind of light, um, was, was really nice. So yeah, thoroughly yeah, enjoyed when you, that. When you saw Amanda and I at E9, we were in, well, we had, we had a babysitter and uh, <laughs> we were having, we were having a fun night. Yes, you were. <laughs> You, and you know what? Your, I mean, maybe you'll tell this story, but uh, your adventure didn't end after you left E9 either. So uh, no, it it, it 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 was a late night. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I'll <laughs> maybe maybe I'll tell that later. There um, you go. Yeah, yeah it's called um, teaser, folks, in the so podcast. I can't, I, I can't I can't believe that you beat me to a Holy Mountain beer. First of all, uh, I am drinking yeah. beer out of a Holy Mountain glass. I'll get to that. It's kind of like stealing your thunder, actually. I know, right? Well, <laughs> yeah, it's your uh, fault. Yeah, Holy Mountain is uh, uh, kind of a, uh, one of the predominant, per, per, the best breweries in, in Seattle. Uh, one, one of my uh, favorite breweries. Uh, uh, my, my jam is that style of beer from them, the, the uh, Tarte Saisons, the farmhouse style beers that they do. I, I, I think that's their best. They do a lot of uh, a bigger releases, uh, barrel-aged stouts, barrel-aged barley wines, and those are very good, but um my favorite thing is just go to the tap room and they always have like three or four of those saisons on draft in there yep great and and luckily enough i live really close to e9 and they always have like three or four holy mountain beers on draft these days so excellent so jeff uh what are you thinking uh on that demon teller on your gardner Minshew rating oh that is like that is like the gardner Minshew catching the pass that flies out of bounds and he spikes it Cause it was just sort of a nice little change up from what I've been drinking. You know, it's like, it just kind of out of nowhere. Hey, I think I'll have one of those. Cause like I said, I've just, I've been drinking a lot of big beers, you know, like I said, winter time. Um, and so that, that's, this is kind of like, you know, the ball flies in, you just catch it and you spike it. Cause it's, uh, cause it's so tasty and, and out of the routine. And that is a very tasty beer. Um, I, uh, when I was there, I can't remember what I drank. <laughs> Unsurprisingly, I could check on tap, but uh, I can't. Eighty nine. Yeah, yeah. Um, you right. had a, a true, a true something, right? Oh yeah, the TRV. Is that how you pronounce it? TRVE. Yeah, I think it's true. It looks right? like true. Yeah, it's TRVE, but it's true. It's like it's it's like a heavy metal, uh, you know, uh, vibe similar to Holy Mountain. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think they're like buddies because of that. Um, but yeah, I did have a TRVE uh, Grisette, which was nothing like a Grisette. And uh, they typically make some pretty good beers, especially in the Saison styles. But it was the garbage Grisette that was like hazy and and uh, like just too high of alcohol for Grisette. It was, it was not good. But I, that's not the beer I'm reviewing. Um, I am reviewing... Uh, Farm to Face by Allagash Brewing Company. It is a sour ale aged on peaches. Um, mm. Allagash is kind of one of the OG uh, sour ale and Saison producers. 
in uh, the States. Uh, what they're most commonly known for in probably like 60%, 60%, 70%, of what they produce is their uh, white beer, Allagash White, which uh, we, I think, used to get in Washington, but uh, doesn't come here anymore. Um, Allagash used to distribute here, and you'll see some of the um, older beer bars that will have like vintage bottles from them uh, of their, you know, their sa- older sour stuff. But but uh, Allagash hasn't. You'd have to go to like uh, California or something. Uh, but it's a great their their flagship white beer is uh, a great you know version of the style. You know when I lived on the East Coast, I if people wanted to order a Blue Moon, I'd be like, get this. It's like a way better version of it. Um, I had the opportunity to visit uh, Allagash uh, many years ago when we uh, the first year we were living in Vermont. Um, my uh amanda's favorite holiday is thanksgiving and uh we couldn't go back for thanksgiving which she was super bummed about um so me thinking i just gotta do something nice for her with on my really very smartly on my graduate student um per diem uh we we went out to the uh to the coast in maine um so allagash is actually in portland maine and we stayed at a, a beach uh, just south of Portland, and we kind of hit up some breweries there. There's actually a lot of breweries in Portland, Maine. It's, you know, uh, similar in in that way to Portland, Oregon. Um, and it's a cool. It's like you know, it's a small city of like sixty thousand, but the area is like five hundred thousand, so it feels like a lot bigger of a city. Um, but yeah, we stayed on the beach, you know, in November in Maine. Um, which is uh, still the seeing that ocean uh, helped her. But we went on a tour of Allagash way back when, when my beer nerdery was not anything like it is now. And my beer knowledge was mostly limited to like IPAs and stuff. And Allagash doesn't make IPAs. Um, they, so we go out there and and uh, we take the tour. And I'm just learning all about how they're, you know, barrel aging these sours. And they're talking about how they're... Uh, um, uh, taking uh, natural yeast from the air, which would be, you know, I drink a lot of beers like that now, but I was just blowing my mind. Um, I remember doing that tour, and this was in like 2011 or something, and and, and now it's like every brewery makes sour beers and stuff. And but Allagash, you know, they just had a little, it was like a little program now, but they they make a lot more of them now because there's a lot more demand. Uh, this particular one, like I said, it's Asian peaches. I think this one is a little old, probably. 2016 um oh no this is a 2018 i must have picked this up when i was traveling um uh, but so yeah it does have a lot of uh fruit more than you I, that's why i thought it was impressive for 2015 to have so much of the peach there but yeah it's a uh, it's definitely like it's got a little bit of a sour kick but not not like punching in the face um i i risked it and didn't get any tums to bring them in here and that's not giving me trouble so far so it's just really tasty um i've had this beer many times and i'll pick up a bottle of it whenever i see it it's uh it's it's one of their rarer ones but if you go to the midwest or you know california uh, a lot of their fancy stuff sits on the shelf because um there's this weird thing about beer nerd culture that like if it's easy to get it's not worth buying so so you have so they sit in this like where you know, they're at a price point where you have to be pretty into beer to want to try it, but then their their availability is high enough to where people, 
you don't necessarily go grab them off the shelf but a lot of their stuff deserves that and and um yeah so um so yeah it's kind of an og uh kind of a, a staple uh brewery in the u.s uh um one of the most influential and important breweries i would say um so it's kind of hard to pick something from a guy that was just around for a year um, but uh yeah uh, um but i <laughs> Gosh, uh, so something that was like core to uh, so I think really what this is is Gardner Minshew's mustache because it's okay. just the it's just the thing that was it was kind of the first thing that stood out to us so it was kind of one of the the, the first things that we saw and so this, they're they're one of the first sour programs the mustache was really what tipped us off to uh, what was coming and uh, their their sour program kind of tipped us off to what was coming in the U.S. to where uh, sours are you know the it it it's uh, it's tough to find a bar that doesn't have one on tap because people go in and they ask for a sour um all the time and, and even just you know some people that's the only style of beer they drink they maybe drink sours and apple cider so um yeah allagash is definitely a um, innovative brewery a, a, in the u.s and uh you know so so much so does their belgian style so well that even a lot of the belgian breweries respect them and and uh that um, so yeah, um, I just straight up stole Gardner Mitchell's mustache for this one. Um, no one can ever use it again. Uh, I'm realizing that we're probably going to have to, probably going to have to switch this rating at some point. I know. Like, I was thinking of that tonight. I was like, run it out I don't stuff. know when we're going to run out of like Gardner Minshew moments, but, uh, it's going to happen at some point. I need to go back and watch all the Pac-12 and 16. I know. So I can like take remember. notes. Okay. I could use this for a beer rating. All, all my plays, I think, have so far been from Oregon or Iowa State, which are two of the most memorable games. So it's like, right. Yeah. <laughs> Although Iowa State, I was, uh, I wouldn't say. I mean, say you could have, like, you know, if you really wanted to go weird, you could have, like, rated that bad beer you had on Saturday and, like, picked a play from the Apple. No, wait, never mind. Just kidding. I never do, mind. I, we won't I, talk I about have, that. I have a I have a Gardner play for certain. I've already like the bad beer. Like I I keep wanting to do a bad beer, but um I wanted to drink a good beer tonight because uh we finally just it, there was there was as you know there was some uh uncertainty uncertainty about whether or not I would go to the spring game in Pullman. Yeah. And uh because uh, Amanda's mom may have been planning an Easter trip to the Oregon coast. Um, but uh, we just, uh, we, we found out that, that that wasn't happening. And then uh, Amanda really wanted to only go if like a couple of our other friends, our best friends from WSU would go with us. Um, they have kids too. And now we have a kid. So she's really excited to take, take the pictures of everyone around the campus and all that stuff. Oh, um, so, so now she's excited. So not yeah. only, not something that I'm dragging her to, it's something that she's excited about. We got our rooms booked, the quality in. We're ready. Hey, like, us too. Uh, hey, yeah, hey, and I, I think you know that's usually where the party is. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's definitely uh, so where it's going to be now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we're ready. Oh, probably party in Craig's room. Yeah. All of you, all of you listeners are invited to Craig's room to party at the spring game. <laughs> he definitely would love that. Oh, and I got my, we got, I got our club seats, which. <laughs> fingers crossed they're selling the booze up there you know um, yeah 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 so i'm excited super excited so i was gonna intentionally crack a shitty beer tonight but um i was too excited and also another thing i'm 
I, I've just started dieting. I'm doing, and not, I'm not doing like a fancy keto diet like you, but I'm doing the old-fashioned calorie counting. And, okay. Uh, I I had a fuck ton of calories left today, so I was I was I was uh, good to go. Uh, that is a great idea. Yeah, and so I was like, if I'm gonna drink one beer today, I'm not gonna drink a shitty beer. It's <laughs> a good idea. Yeah, I you like should always idea. save your calories for beer, kids. That's I'm trying. That's what I try to do most days. Yeah. When I, you know, so. Yeah, I was like on like a thousand calories for the whole day, and I went to the gym. So I was like, I can wow. pretty much eat whatever the hell I want before I go. Yeah, to bed. pretty much, <laughs> pretty much. With keto, it's funny. Like, I have to like have zero carbs all day, and then like blow like a hundred and fifty percent of my carbs on a beer. Yeah. Like, that's kind of how that goes. But totally worth it. One hundred percent worth it. In, there's carbs in beer. No. Yeah. Who knew? All right, so there was another basketball game this weekend. They 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 they, they didn't end the season on the high note in Arizona. Yeah, they decided yeah. to keep playing. Um, some some might say they put up a valiant effort against uh, the number one team in the Pac-12, who is also roughly the number 35 team in the country, um, the Washington Huskies. Um, really, a game that they were in control of for most of the time um and just you knew a run was coming from UW they actually handled the in, initial run and took the lead back um but uh, I'll let you talk about it but the there was a particular play Robert Franks on a turnover where it was interesting the uh the uh color commentator was almost crying for him on the on the broadcast saying oh I'm so heartbroken uh, that he would turn it over, and it turned out if you look at the win probability, uh, it made a lot of sense. So Jeff, yeah, that I, was I know, a I know really. You, I know you were looking at the win probability earlier. Yeah, so that was a really tell us, bad. Tell us, tell us how big that sequence was. Yeah, so I, I imagine most people are are familiar with the concept of win probability at this point. But in case you're not, just like in a nutshell, it's. At any moment in the game, given the score and the time remaining, and the and with Ken Palm, he does also incorporates the quality of the teams. Um, what's the probability that you know either team is going to win? You know, given the rest of the game that's left to be played. So, um, so WSU had sort of fallen behind the win probability graph. They peaked at early in the second half. They peaked at about seventy uh, percent win probability which was pretty great uh when they were up uh i don't know by about 11 i think at that point um and then you know slowly washington started reeling them back in until washington kind of spiked up to 87 percent themselves win probability when they were up by one or excuse me up by three with about four minutes to go and then of course franks hits a three wsu's coming back and then, of course, WSU gets the stop with about 90 seconds to go and a one-point lead. Franks gets the rebound. At that point, WSU actually has about a 60% chance of closing it out, which, I mean, is, um, you know, is not exactly, you know, ironclad, right? Yeah. But it's 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 a lot. You know, that's, I mean, more than half and against a team that, you know, is, is better than you probably um, – you know, that's a pretty good spot to be in. And then all of a sudden he, he runs down the floor and turns it over and Washington gets a bucket. 
um, to go up, and, and the win probability went from 60% for WSU to 80% for UW. <laughs> so, so there was a uh, there was a 40% swing in uh, yeah, win I probability towards it Washington. It went at the turnover. It went from 60% WSU to 55% UW. And then yeah. when UW scored and, and, and won, you know, 80% in, in just a span of about 10 basketball seconds, you know? Yep. Maybe and not even, maybe not even that many seconds. Yeah, maybe, like not, it maybe was, not even, yeah. It, and <sighs> it, was, it was an inexplicable effort by Franks on that play, honestly. I don't know what he was yeah. doing. Because uh, he pulls I, it know, out. I think the emotion the got the best of him, you know, well, as, I, as it, it does sometimes with players. And and I, that's what kind of something I want to talk about, you know. Down the stretch, it, the ball was really uh, – Marvin Cannon really had them in the game most of the way. But down the stretch, the ball was in Ellaby's and Frank's hand, uh, hands. Uh, Ellaby uh, clearly was not uh, <laughs> ready for the moment. Like, he – you could – it's hard – you know, it's – I hate, you know, guessing what a guy's mental state is. But he was whipping some passes out of bounds, nowhere near anyone, turning the ball over inexplicably. Like – down the stretch, um, and then Franks himself had a. He was either you know hitting a big three or turning the ball over down the stretch. Uh, so it was you know they had their they had the ball in their hands of the best player their best players, but it just it ultimately didn't work out. One of the things I think that makes Washington's defense so good is that it, it's you know they don't gamble for turnovers a whole bunch. They're not like a um, a super aggressive you know, in your shorts kind of defense, right? I mean, they're a zone, but what they do is, you know, they are really long. And if you do make a loose pass, if you do make a careless pass, they are absolutely 100% going to make you pay. They are 100% going to take the ball away and you are screwed. And there comes a point, especially where, you know, when you've had some turnovers for, you know, kind of piling up a little bit at some point, I think it kind of gets in your head, right. Where you're thinking, you know, Oh, they're so long. And this is, you know, I'm thinking of the Ellaby, you know, cross court skip pass that sails into the 15th row. Yeah. Um, you know, somewhere in his head, he's thinking, okay, I really have to elevate this pass or it's going to get stolen, you know? And so instead of, you know, I, you know, kind of throwing it up where somebody can actually catch it, you know, he's firing it, you know, 10 feet over the guy's head. And, um, you know, I feel like quarterbacks do that too, right? When they're thinking like, okay, so there's a linebacker kind of hanging out in front of a guy run, you know, and so there's a window there, but I really want to make sure I get it over the linebacker. And so then they, you know, fire it, you know, too deep and, and the receiver can't get to it. So, yeah, I mean, I just, you know, it, it's frustrating. The lack of discipline is frustrating. Um, you know, WSU normally gets away with some loose passes. And I think what Washington does really, is really, really well is just punish you if you make any of those loose passes. And, and that's kind of, you know, it's kind of WSU's MO under Ernie, um, you know, a little loose, a little undisciplined, um, not a lot of structure. And, you know, sometimes that's OK. And but when you play a defense like Washington's, which is, you know, one really one of the best in the country, um, you know, it's going to be very difficult to to sustain um, whatever it is that you want to do. And the crazy part is they had a great game offensively yeah. in really any other way you want to measure it. They had a superlative, even, they, they even had a good offensive rebounding game, which is unlike them. 
you know. So yeah. that's the bummer to me is is they put themselves in a position and they really sabotage themselves with uh, with some real lack of discipline and taking care of the ball. Yeah, yeah. They, I mean, obviously the game was there to be had. Um, I, so, I, I had a little mini rant I've been thinking about. Uh, so uh, there was a, another huge play when uh, Franks had a charge called on him, um, and uh, Pollard had made a easy layup, but they waved yep, it. Yep. Off. Um, yep, I I'm, that one. I'm not saying the call was wrong, but I mean, the, if you think about it, the guy is standing about six feet away from the hoop, six feet to the side of the hoop and behind the hoop um, waiting for Franks to drive, like to drive who has beaten his initial defender and he's a secondary defender and he's pulled off of Pollard and literally went about 10 feet away from Pollard just to draw a charge. So this is just like, this has nothing to do with this game. And Pollard is, is a guy that does this all the time too. I'm like so tired of that play. Like, yeah, just not defense. Like you're you're rewarding, like you're you're punishing the ball care the ball handler for beating their man, because it, it, it because all, all all the defender does now it, they they look and see if they're outside of the circle, and then they they uh, they set they just stand there and wait, and, yeah. it, and as long as they're somewhat set, it's going to be called a charge, and and it's like that's not playing defense in any way, like that's no. Like if you think about it, if you're just playing a, a game of basketball, like if, if all these guys are playing a a, a a pickup game, no one's no one's taking charges in a pickup game because it right. doesn't make any sense. Like it, it like well, it's only, certainly it, not six feet to the left of the basket. Yeah, not certainly not. Um, and and if it is, it's almost accident. You know, you're you're trying to uh, you're just trying to get in a guy's way and he knocks you over, which is a different part. This is way, which is way different than stepping in front of a guy intentionally like late intentionally because you know there's a part of it where you can't do it too early um and franks had almost like he was almost landing and he like landed right on basically like nudged the hit the guy on his way down um and and it's just this type of play is annoying like i almost would wish they would just eliminate it and a guy plays you know just plays normal secondary defense and tries to you know bother the shot or 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 does something you know that's more of a a basketball move rather than standing still with your arm over your junk your hands over yeah. your junk and and cuz that's not a defensive position like I mean it is a defensive position but it's not a defensive position yeah right. it's, not, you know, it's it's just a thing and and and, and I'm not saying like the the call was wrong or anything cuz by the letter of the law is definitely a, the right call the dude was set for a long time and Franks ran into him and um, but I mean, why the heck, what, why the heck to get, why is the guy over there? Like Frank is headed to the basket. Why is he over there? You know? Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, what I hate about it is that it incentivizes contact. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. you know, that's cause basketball is not a collision sport, you know? And so I feel like when you make those kinds of calls, you're incentivizing collisions. And to me, that's, I don't know, like that, that doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, if a guy is between, you know the uh, you know the the guy in the basket. That that's one thing, but I don't know. It's it, it's it's a thing in in sport college sports. I wish they would do I don't know do something in basketball to make uh, to make charges less appealing or less less yeah. prominent, particularly in college. Well, I, right. Yeah, I hear it said you know oh well you know that's how that guy contributes, and it's like well 
maybe don't be a shitty player then. Like, like yeah. if all you can do is step where guys are supposed to be and get run over and draw a foul, like perhaps you shouldn't be playing basketball at that level. I don't know. You should probably be offering a little more than that, but yeah, I, I did. Wasn't, it was a few years ago where, uh, they, they, they were calling the uh, rule a little bit differently just at the start of the year where essentially you had to be set when the guy was, starting his kind yeah. of went towards the basket yeah. like basically from when he picked up the ball and yeah. that 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 did, that resulted in a lot more uh defensive foul calls yeah a lot but, more block calls but what happened was the refs just by the middle of the season they readjusted back to the old way which and, they always and, do. And, and then they and then they just eliminated that rule from the rule book so it it and it yeah that's what that's what we always see when there's a rule change the refs like freak out about it after it just in the preseason and by the time they get to conference play everything is back to normal um yeah, yeah. do you uh, you take away any positives from that game against washington um yeah i mean it they uh, a few weeks ago, I thought they just got run over. Um, yep. They, the the their ability to hit shots. Uh, Marvin Cannon, obviously, he definitely was the type of player that could exploit uh, that zone, especially on the the offensive rebounding side. Um, and and he did, and uh, he shot well, and he played really well. Um, yeah, there there are definitely some positives from the game. Um, Mostly, uh, you know, I, I I probably have better feeling going into this weekend that they could get one or even two um, from Utah or Colorado. Probably, probably uh, even though Colorado is ranked higher, I think probably they're uh, more likelihood. But um, yeah, I definitely feel better about the team. I would have felt a lot better if they won. <laughs> I, I went and. I went and got in line for a beer at really early in the morning on Sunday to a special beer li- release in Seattle. And of course I had uh, some of my beer nerd friends are coming up to me and giving me shit about the game. So I would have much rather, uh, uh, they won. So I could, uh, I would have went full coog gear. I only had a few coog things on <laughs> instead. Yeah. But, but, um, but yeah, so because it was, it was in Wallingford too, which was right next to you though. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, but anyway, so it, it, it's, yeah, I, I, I think, you know, uh, it was great to see Marvin Cannon have a breakout cause, um, I think we saw, uh, uh, on the Slack, uh, I won't name names, but someone go, who the heck is Marvin Cannon? <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, um, it, he deserved to be, uh, known. I'm really glad he's getting play in time and that, you know, yeah. he, he's proved that he deserved it. Yeah, somebody mentioned this on uh, on in the comments on on the story that I wrote about how, you know, it's like we point to these improvements and and we're like, oh, you know, it's it's you know they're improving and it's like, well, I mean, number one, you're supposed to, yeah, <laughs> right. Like it it reminds me of uh, you know we're both Seahawks fans here and probably a lot of our listeners are, but it's like it reminds me of when Tom Cable was the offensive line coach, and it's like. You know, the last couple, not this past year, obviously, because he wasn't anymore, but the, you know, the couple of years before that where, you know, Russell Wilson gets buried under eight sacks in the first week. And then if by the eighth week they're only giving up one or two sacks, all of a sudden, you know, Tom Cable's a freaking genius, right? And it's like, yeah. 
it's 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 like this amazing tactic to set the bar so damn low that you know any improvement is seen as some sort of coaching genius and and i feel like that's kind of what's going on with ernie right where uh you know a few games ago he said oh we had to hit rock bottom and i'm like what in the it's i mean like it's your job to make sure they don't get to rock bottom dude like like that's what your job is for 1.4 million dollars a year and so you know when we're sitting here and there are six games left at seven games right left in the season and it's like well you know look at the improvement it's like yeah well it shouldn't take you know 80 percent of the season before you finally start to figure some things out you know, it shouldn't take you that long to field a competent defense. It shouldn't take you that long to figure out that Marvin Cannon is a much better option than Vionte Daniels. It, sh- You know, like all these things, it shouldn't take you that long to figure it out. A college basketball season is only 30 games long, and right. that's really not very long. You know, that's actually quite short. And so you better have it figured out pretty damn quick. And the fact that they didn't, you know, I mean, yay, you know, that they're playing better now. I think there's a pretty good chance they get one of these two games, uh, particularly. See, I, I think Utah's probably the one they have a better chance of getting just because Utah's defense can be so atrocious at yeah. times. Um, so I think, you know, there's a good opportunity there to, uh, you know, to score a lot of points. Colorado, Colorado's kind of rolling right now. And Tad Boyle's a really good coach. I know, you know, Larry Kostowiak's a really good coach too, but uh, for whatever reason, they haven't been able to figure out their defense. So I kind of like that one a little bit better. I think there's a good chance they get one of these two. I think there's a good chance they beat Cal the following week. Um, I, I don't like their chances of beating Stanford at all um, down at Maples. And then, you know, you come back home and, and you got USC and UCLA and, um, or sorry, that's not right. I'm looking at the wrong schedule. Oregon and Oregon State. Sorry. Um, You know, eh, I mean, I don't really like their chances of getting either one of those. But, you know, I guess I guess, you know, they'd have a shot at maybe getting one of those. So I don't know, two, maybe three wins the rest of the way. Um, You know, and if they do that, they uh, they exceed the football team. Print the shirts. Hey, but, you know, their last uh, three games, if anything, you know, Ernie has had in, at Oregon. He had some success in the uh, in the the Pac-12, Pac-10 tournament. Uh, maybe uh, maybe he can just summon up some of that magic, and we can get a couple a win or two, and it'd be kind of interesting to watch at least for a weekend. Um, what more can you ask for with Ernie Ken as the coach? But is uh, there any part of you that believes that? there's a chance he could be fired at the end of the year. And so you're actually torn on how well you want the team to play. Oh no, absolutely. Like it, I, I enjoyed the Arizona wins and obviously I really wanted them to beat you dub, but at the same time, you're like, this is all stuff that he can spin in the, in the, you know, the end of the season, you know, interview, which I assume, he, you know, exit interview, something like that, um, which I would hope they would have, you know, but uh, yeah, uh, you know, like you have your performance review with your boss every year. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I, one thing that Chun should keep in mind is part of the reason that these uh, we don't see these teams play decent until 75% of the season's over is because we got a, a new fucking team every year. Like, yeah. Like, like when, when you're, you know, guys are transferring out, like, um, sorry, my my f bombs, but we've broken the seal on that. It doesn't matter. Oh no, no, um, the f bombs are good and um, totally appropriate yeah, right now. But but yeah, so it's like you know when when you're turning over the team every single year, 
you know, keeping one or two guys, uh, one or two major contributors, which is essentially what they have. Well, one, they have Franks, and then the rest are, uh, and Daniels, but he's essentially not, and no not longer playing major. anymore. And, and well, in Skaggs, who is not playing anymore not playing at anymore. all, like not even a, a minute. Um, and, uh, uh, and the team is better off. But, but uh, it's it's almost like when you and I talked last year, and we're like, Carter Skaggs is not a Pac-12 player, and everybody went, oh, well, look at him shoot threes. Uh, and it's like, look, and I'm sure he's a fine young man. Like this is not to rip on him, but it's like he can't play at this level. He can't. He just, he just can't. so out of position because he has to play the two. Yeah, uh, it's not and, his and, fault. Like God and, bless him for trying, but. But he's he doesn't have the not. quickness to guard no. too, or you know, or to get or to get his own shot. And he plays hard, like he definitely plays his butt off, and and he has a hell of a shot, like, and he's got yeah. range out to thirty feet. But but when he's out there, when when he's playing on offense, like he's a black hole, and if he's yeah. not hitting, like, and he hits, you know, every, you know, he has games where he hits, and it's great. But uh, you could argue that his his value on offense is like almost completely negated on defense, but, but, but when he's not hitting, Oh, I think it's even more than completely negated. Yeah. yeah. So when he's not hitting, he's a complete liability. And, and I, Ernie has finally realized that. And like you say, he plays his butt off. Honestly, he's just not quick enough to defend Pac-12 players, even in this like down Pac-12. He is just, cause you still have like athletes that were four stars when they were recruited, you know? Uh, at every other school but this one but um right uh but yeah so it's um yeah it's it's uh it it it's like it took this long to gel and and to figure out who you had because you're coming with new guys you know juco transfers and and like because if ernie would have had uh you know the same team maybe he'd already know who his best players were at least a little bit going in and we're not just gauging things off of a month of practices you know yeah so although i obviously the guys are there longer than that a lot of them come in the summer and they're they're practicing in quotes um you know without the coaches there in quotes um but uh uh yeah it's 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 uh it gets frustrating just having the new team every year um, cause I, there's even, they, they, cause they've added, they added some good pieces this year. They added Ellaby and Cannon and, yep. you know, if you still had Flynn, like that. Yeah, that, that is Cannon. true. <laughs> if you had Malachi Flynn, this might be a middle of the road Pac-12 team, to be honest. Yeah, especially in this year. Yeah. Like there's, that's what I'm saying for this year. I mean, that's, you know, it's, it's not inconceivable to think that they'd be, I mean, I don't know. Would they be as good as Stanford right now or UCLA? I mean, that's not implausible. They're probably yeah. as good or better than Arizona. I mean, yeah, they're they're probably a maybe a 500 Pac-12 team just because right. the rest of the conference is so atrocious. If Ellaby could be a, a third scorer, he'd yeah, be instead of a second efficient. scorer, he'd be so much yeah. more efficient and yeah. sometimes a, a number one scorer. Yeah. Uh, when Franks has been out and uh, and he's because he's he's shown the ability to be very good, but sometimes it's just you know he's he's tired, he's playing too much, and he and he's just forcing shots because there's no one else no one else to take the shot, and and so you know just having Flynn who you know could have you know Franks would have been the best offensive player, but just to have that point guard and the scoring point guard 
uh, that that would have been a, a big deal, but you know, uh, that doesn't matter now. <laughs> no, it doesn't. And you know, and Ernie definitely was all too eager to go to the uh, the youth excuse again, uh, which he's been doing for like four years, right? Well, um, is, after that game was ex- over, is an excuse for youth when it like Ellaby maybe, but it's a bunch of juniors and sophomores and and seniors. Yeah, like, a bunch of juniors. So, and- it's a bunch the of word he used was inexperience, right? Yeah. Like he said, "Oh, they Washington's experience really showed through." And I'm just like, "Let me find a toilet to barf into," because this is like, like uh, oh, I, oh, because their guys have stayed in the program for more than more than like one season. You have Noah Dickerson, who's been you know a, a senior. You have Matisse Thibel, you have <laughs> David Crisp, right? Like we're been, supposed to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're supposed to I don't know. It the one thing that is encouraging to me and I guess we can kind of wrap up with this is whenever Chun is asked about it, um he's very careful to praise the players, um but he really doesn't say much about Ernie. And I think that's, you know, I I don't know how much you can read into that other than, you know, I think he wants to keep his options open. Um, he definitely hasn't gone with the, you know, the dreaded vote of confidence. I haven't even heard that where he's like, oh, you know, Ernie's doing a great job. I mean, none of that. Um, he talks to me, he praises the players, which I think is the right move. You know, talks about the players are, you know, working hard and he likes their character and, you know, kind of all that stuff. Um, you know, he, he, he's very, I, I haven't heard him once say, oh yeah, I'm really happy with the job Ernie's doing or anything like that. You know, he's basically always said that, you know, we'll talk about after the season. So, yeah. um, so that does give me hope that that door is, is at least cracked. Um, and I don't know, I think the, the biggest thing I hear when I hear Chun talk, um, is, is the concern over just the lack of attendance. It's the, um, it's, it's the apathy with the fans. Um, and I think that's, what's most alarming to him. And I think if, if anyone's in kind of the boat that you and I are in, which is we, we would absolutely positively, you know, 100% endorse a, uh, a coaching change, um, you know, a couple of wins against Arizona, you know, just against Arizona, Arizona State, that's not going to, I don't think, move the needle for Chun. Because, you know, that, I mean, some people showed up to UW, and that's great, but it was still only 4,000. And you it know, was still, I mean, it's UW, like, there was yeah, no even there anyway. Yeah, even during the not greatest years, they pull something approximating a three-quarters full house, at least. Yeah. When, you know, uh, just because it's UW. Yeah, Dick Bennett's first two years, the teams were, or Dick Bennett's all three of his years, the teams were not good, but he, but UW was always eight or nine thousand people, and the, and then when they were good, it was completely full, you know, them turning people away, and so so when it's, I, I mean, you're kind of guaranteed, uh, a, a, you know, a decent crowd, you know, a decent, but it's such a big arena that. <laughs> It still looks vacant. They showed. I've seen a lot of shots in the student section where they're trying to show like a, a full crowd for that game, but you can just look and see the second level is completely empty. <laughs> like it's it's not that hard. You can't hide that. And then anything outside of the student section is half empty. So. You still there, man?
still there? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I was having trouble with my headphones. I'm like, oh no, I'm like technical difficulties. I'm like trying to figure it out. I'm like, maybe Craig will just keep talking and I'm like nobody will point? notice that I'm gone. Was my point that bad? Was it so bad? One hundred percent terrible. This is what people Jeff get for listening to our podcast. That's it. Just I've had it mid podcast. Yeah, it wouldn't I'm even trying. get posted because I don't even post these things. You do that. I know. I know. My my. So my. Uh, I made the mistake of not making sure that my Bluetooth headphones were charged, <laughs> all the way charged, and so they are. Uh, they're telling me battery low. So we'll see how long they hang out here. If I disappear again, it's because I'm trying to situate my stupid headphones. I can hardwire them. Of course, this is not making for good podcasting. I'm trying to hardwire them, and that's what happened. Was I got. Yep. I got kind of dumped by trying to hardwire them. If, so, if, yeah. if you're listening to podcasts versus everyone, you're getting all the because uh, Jeff is not going to edit this at all, and we don't edit right. it at all. So you're getting that's all. Right. But yeah, yeah um, we can put a bow on that uh, Cougar talk. Uh, uh, only what I don't know, a few months or only uh, six months till Cougar football or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, two months speaking of seasons that are, speaking <laughs> of seasons that are too short yeah all right so uh this is part when we uh, uh I, I was calling it coastal elites and i still do but i forget to call it that sometimes uh sure. it's where we we get we get to we show our uh our, our political sides which are uh blue and uh um yeah, so uh, if, if you want to fast forward or whatever, who cares, um, or have your mind expanded and opened, uh, you can keep listening. Um, but Jeff, I, I know that a, a, a story that caught um, both of our uh, eyes this week was um, a, a kid being uh, uh, arrested after having an altercation with his teacher, which uh, was uh, began with him... Uh, refusing to um, stand up for the pledge and and recite the pledge of, pledge of allegiance, which honestly is something I uh, I don't recall doing uh, much in school, um, and I didn't think it was such a big practice anymore. But um, you're you're a teacher, so you would know more than me about that. But yeah, oh yeah, we definitely do it every day, man. Oh um, okay, because <laughs> we're good at we're good Americans at Rogers High School in Puyallup. Oh, because I, I could I can tell you something that uh, even when I was a, a younger, it always made me feel a little awkward, because it it is a little uh, nationalistic or whatever word you want to use for it, or even worse, uh, this pledge allegiance to the flag sort of thing. Um, it seems like the kind of stuff that you would uh, see in like a propaganda video for a, a fascist regime even. Um, so it, it seems weird that we kind of force children to recite it every every day anyway. Um, so yeah. obviously I don't have a problem with a kid deciding that. And obviously uh, if, if this is country is, is, is what it says it is, then the kid has every right not to stand up and recite the Pledge of Allegiance. Yeah, I mean, where, you know, where my brain first went was a couple of places. One is, um, you know, I'm an ardent believer in the First Amendment. So uh, that was sort of my first thought was, you know, well, that's ridiculous that um, this kid got in trouble for for not reciting the Pledge of Allegiance. Um, And then particularly that a teacher um, didn't know. And it it was a substitute teacher. So I'll I'll say this. Some subs, I can sort of believe 
Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> just, you know, some subs are fantastic. Other subs are questionable. And uh, so in it for the money somehow, some way. Yeah. Like. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, so that part didn't completely shock me, but uh, you know, it, it, the other place that, that my, my brain went was this, um, you know, you do hear from time to time this this concept or this term called um, school to prison pipeline, um, and and it's not it's you know it's not a term that you hear a ton, you know, up here in the northwest corner where we are, um, but you do hear it um, in other areas where you've kind of got high poverty minority. Um, you know, high density type areas in in um, some of the bigger cities, and it's this idea that schools start sort of creating um, a culture where um, minorities get in trouble with the law when they're in school and that law enforcement gets tied to school and and then eventually they just end up sort of walking into this you know this uh, this the, these areas where they run afoul of the law and they end up in prison. And so as I was reading this, this was something that gave me, so, you know, this, this kid is, is a black kid. Um, you know, he's 12 years old and basically the circumstance of what happened were this, that he refused to stand. The teacher was like, Hey, stand up. It, I'm paraphrasing, but the teacher was like, Hey, stand up. And and he was like, no, <laughs> I don't want to. And then the, the teacher was sort of like, um, you know, if, you know, Oh, well, if it's so bad here, you know, go somewhere else kind of deal. Um, and the kid was like, I, yeah, I don't want to, I was brought here. I didn't have a choice. Right. Um, cause he's black. And so, um, anyway, he just like refuses to stand. So the sub calls, calls the principal and the principal brings the school officer with him. And this is the part for me where it gets off the rails. It's like, okay, so they come and apparently they determine that the kid is causing a disruption. And so they um, haul him out and eventually arrest him. And, you know, and the details are fuzzy about how, you know, it kind of all went down. But it's like at some point there, the one of the adults should have said, okay, the kid doesn't have to stand. It's not a big deal. Let him sit, Right. Instead, the kid ends up arrested because an adult didn't act like an adult. He got upset, and then he's the one who's supposed to act like the adult. And that's the part. And we see that kind of again and again and again in these stories of, you know, black kids getting, you know, running afoul of the law when they're young is there's this undue expectation that they're supposed to somehow be very mature beyond their years and behave perfectly. And it's like, look, I mean, I don't know if this kid behaved perfectly. He probably didn't. But it's like, I mean, who's the adult here? You know, and, and that's that's the part that gets me about these sorts of stories that I hear is like, you know, there's all these opportunities for it not to get to the point that it does. And the expectation is always on, you know, the, the black kid um, to do the right thing and to and to act appropriately. And it's like, you know, <laughs> I mean, the teacher was the one who was in the wrong here. So why are we why are we arresting a kid? And, and it's just that sort of thing that I think um you know, really fuels this idea that, um, you know, law enforcement, you know, criminalizing everything that a black kid does, um, you know, that's, that's where these ideas take shape for people who are like, that's not a real thing. Um, it is a real thing. And these things really do happen. Yeah. Um, I had, uh, I had a lot of, uh, some firsthand experience with this when I was in, uh, when I uh, lived in Nashville, I I worked at a, a group home 
and, and the kids there were, uh, um, you know, between roughly 15 to 18. Uh, it was basically a, what you call a level two. So, that I mean, we didn't have any fences, uh, but it was, you were incarcerated in a way. Um, uh, level one is like foster care, they call it, like sort of a foster care situation. And then uh, level two is you're still in a big group and you, you know, you share your room with the guy, but you still can go to school um, and all that. So there's some trust involved. Um, and level three and four are like kid prisons, basically. Um, so I had kids that, you know, kind of came down through the system or they were going up through the system. So they may have like been at a level four and then they were kind of working their way out of the system uh, to me at level two and, and or they were at level two. And I saw some kids that, you know, started with very minor offenses and screwed up in this atmosphere of level two uh, incarceration and ended up going to higher and higher levels. Um, some of the kids, uh, they ended up in school or in in uh, state custody truancy, which is, I don't know if they arrest for that in Washington, but in Tennessee. They do. Yeah. So, yeah. The, so, basically, you can be, the, the kid can be arrested for not going to school. Um, and nothing like it. And so, these kids will get arrested for not going to school. And then they, in while they're in um, kind of state custody, uh, they ended up, they end up almost like learning how to be, uh, you know, as they say, learning how to be a criminal or whatever. Like they meet, you know, other kids that, you know, may 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 have had more legitimate crimes that for why they were in in the thing, and you know, uh, you know, more violent and and drug drug related things, and um, and 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 it would you would just see these kids kind of be transformed into that that sort of uh, that person that. Uh, that you know they were kind of expected to be, um, and it, and it and it was it was pretty uh it was a pretty rough thing to watch every day, but um, it was definitely a, a left an impression on me um, about working with those kids. Uh, but yeah, it, it, just to see kind of what you were talking about, like up close and you know talking to these kids and hearing their stories and how they ended up here, and you're like. And you think about some of the things that you did in high school, and you're like, man, like, <laughs> right? If if one or two things could have went wrong, like my life could be a lot like this kid's life, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I, you know, I don't know. I I, I wish that uh, you know. I, my frustration is that uh, you know that the kid is automatically seen as a threat to where law enforcement needs to get involved. Um, you know, if we can keep law enforcement out of as many things as possible, and that's not a, honestly, that's not a cop hating thing. That's a, that's just a, look, law enforcement is for crimes. You know, like we have kid, we have resource officers at our school, um, to help us with crimes, right? Like that's why they are there. Um, they're there to investigate, you know, all, you know, things, you know, ranging from theft to, um, you know, drugs being, you know, sold or consumed on campus. I mean, stuff that actually like matters, you know? And so, you know, for the, for the police officer to be involved in that, and, and he may have even been put or she might've been she, but, um, for that person to be put in that position, um, uh, you know, to have to do that. Basically what happened was that the kid yelled, um, 
accuse them of being racist because they were the, the principal was in the dean of students or whoever was in there, you know, trying to deal with him. And then he said, suspend me. I don't care. This school is racist. And then walked out of the classroom. And then that was when he was arrested for creating another disturbance and making threats while being escorted to the office. This arrest was based on the student's choice to disrupt the classroom, make threats and resisting the officer's efforts to leave the classroom. And it's like, did that really have to end with an arrest? You know, so yeah. I don't know. That's that's the part I think that, you know, when we think of criminal justice reform, um, you know, I think fewer arrests would be good, would be figuring out other ways to solve that would be would be a good place to start. And particularly if we're talking about a 12 year old. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. So uh, 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 not quite as uh, funny. Um, if, if I do, um, it's slightly political. Um, so. I mean, it is political, but uh, there is. Um, are, are you familiar with the Kent State Gun Girl? No. So there's. Oh yes, 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 I am. Yes, I am. Yes, I'm so aware. So basically, basically, it's a girl who, you know, poses for pictures online with guns and, right. and stuff, and um, kind of advocates for gun rights and all that. And you know, even I think she's even gotten some fame and. Think she works on Infowars and things like that sometimes and stuff like oh, that. That's but, that's a shock. Yeah. So, so uh, my uh, it, it, I had a bit of a conflict because uh, the story comes out and actually Barstool kind of investigates it to whatever extent that they can do that. <laughs> they do uh, that, huh? Um, so there's a story that she had uh, that she pooped her pants at a at a party at at Kent State. <laughs> what? <laughs> Okay. All right. And my first thought is like, go on, go on. Okay. So my first, so they have like, you know, they they inter they they tried, they interviewed her and she's like, uh, she called them like barstool, barstool, like uh like a liberal arm or something like that. And I'm like, oh my God. barstool sports of all places you want to throw that. Right. Right. Um, yeah. That bastion of liberal progressive thought, barstool yeah. sports. But, but, uh, you know, I, so I read some of the Twitter things and I'm like, you know, like, don't venture too much into like bullying her for this. But then uh, it's like, but then you just have to see like one thing that she, so then I see like, uh, some, one of the comedians I follow on Twitter shares this screenshot of her account where, um, she's interviewing someone for, it might've been Infowars or something like that. You know, just asking kids like uh, who who's on Mount Rushmore, kids in college, and then with 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 the caption that what are they even teaching people in school now, and and because the kids couldn't name the four presidents on Mount Rushmore, yeah. And, and so my initial thought as someone who you know has a history degree, which is doesn't mean a whole lot, but uh, I mean it does make you an authority on history, though. Uh, yeah, sure. sort of. At least, sort of, more sort than of, me. Uh, the the more the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. Um, but so to me, like um, yeah, that that's it's it's not really that. I, I I can kind of see what like maybe you could stretch your point out that should, they just don't. But like knowing uh, that Thomas Jefferson is on Mount Rushmore doesn't really tell you anything about Thomas Jefferson. It doesn't really mean anything um, right. it's a factoid yeah knowing about thomas jefferson's background as this kind of like 
interesting early figure in 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 uh, in U.S. history who is like who you know obviously was a slave owner but also um, advocated for freedom for all people and so and then at, at the same time he he had this like set of political beliefs that couldn't that if you put in front of a a Democrat or Republican these days that they could not align with. And and so he's interesting in that way. But who cares if like who cares if he's on Mount Rushmore? Like that's just a stupid like monument that like someone made to make money. Like it doesn't Right. Like, it's not that it's it's a cool thing. Like you know, it's an impressive uh, engineering feat and all that, but it's more interesting because of that. It's less interesting because of the I mean, you could right. debate about which presidents belong on there. Well, I think you can have that debate, like, very strongly considering Theodore Roosevelt is on there. Like, like, does anybody consider him one of our great, great presidents? Like, well, he did, so. I mean, he did, but, like, you know what I mean? It's I, I think that sort of underscores uh, the absurdity of the original question. You know, it's like, I mean, great, good for him. He was a president. I mean, look, that's a very exclusive club, and, you know, any president you know, that's, that's quite the accomplishment and whatever. So, but, but I think, um, I, you know, it's not like it's some sort of like historical endorsement of your, um, you know, contribution to our country or something. You, you know, that's kind of funny to think about uh, Teddy Roosevelt is that he, he was a staunch supporter and, and he played a big role in like the growth of the national park system. And uh, he mainly did it because he enjoyed outdoor things, a yep. large part hunting. Yep. So he didn't want that to go away. And and now you see sort of, uh, and I'm not saying every hunter is like this, but you do see a group of hunters and, and people that live off the land and things that, that are now against this large scale, um, uh, basically uh, public owned land. And so it's just, it's just it's funny to think about this guy that advocated it probably would get along with them really well. Like they, they do a lot of the same things and, and but, uh, and he's the one that wanted, cause you know, you got to give him that credit is like, especially in the, the late 1890s or the 1890s, 1880s, they, they were just destroying the environment uh, um, yeah. as, as industrial revolutions have historically done. And, and uh, um, cause been, you know, just destroying species, destroying you know vast amounts of woodland, and and uh, and it was gosh, if we did, if no one, if there if there was no one to advocate to rein that in, um, so I give them credit for that, and 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 I you know if they wanted to put him on there for that, and because of his bombastic personality, I think is the main reason he's on there, um, but uh, but yeah, so it's it's pretty interesting, I. I think there's a hundred thousand things I'd rather uh, a U.S. student know. Um, kind of one of my, and it's this is even this is kind of more of a trivia thing, but one of my favorite things to do as a I, that I've done in the past as a you know a history major um, is uh, one of the funny things I like to ask people is uh, when I ask them when was the War of 1812, which trips more people out than you would think. Not uh, 1812, or I honestly, I, I would assume 1812. Started, started in 1812 and in 1814, but yeah, if they said 1812, then yeah. Uh, but uh, I would say, who who are the who are the uh, 
who 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 were the countries involved, the parties involved in in War of eighteen twelve, and that that is where people um, are stumped, and it and uh, and um, it's pretty interesting that like <laughs> uh, you know we we typically call it kind of the extension of the Revolutionary War. Um, the, the Brit British burned down Washington D.C. Uh, there was a whole war. There was a whole battle in, in, that um, in New Orleans that was fought. Um, uh, that happened after the the peace treaty. Uh, so it's a it, it's a pretty interesting uh, bit of history yeah. and one that um, where uh, the Star Spangled Banner was born of that war. And uh, uh, the the current uh, version of the flag was born of that war, and uh, so um, yeah, it's pretty it's pretty interesting. It's 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 a pretty uh, so basically you know it 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 was just it, it's this thing that a lot of people don't know about, which is interesting to me, um, you know, because I obviously I went into history as uh, for school, so obviously I had an interest in it when I was younger, and I could just remember crap and. Uh, so I always, you know, remembered that and, but it, I always think it's funny that people don't, uh, know, um, that war, uh, it was, you know, is a stalemate because a lot of people, you know, I remember when I was growing up, uh, the thing that people like to say, um, this is obviously before, uh, or it, it, people would even still say this, uh, even post Vietnam and stuff and say that America's never lost a war. And it's like, okay, well, the war of 1812 was a stalemate um uh definitely the vietnam war was far from a victory <laughs> right um and uh if you can paint it that way and the korean war was far from a victory um you can say they maybe uh in the korean war they stopped the uh march of communism as i think they'll typically spin it but um they certainly did not uh you know obviously half of the peninsula ended up still uh, under that rule and, and but yeah the, i'm kind of going on tangents here but there's a lot of things that you could know about the uh, history of the united states that are far more important than mount rushmore so i think if you're gonna if you're gonna be like what are they teaching kids these days maybe ask a more interesting question than who's on some you know monument in south dakota <laughs> yep yep those are things that might actually you know inform our future policy decisions since we seem to be very good at not remembering our past policy failures and just doing the same things again because we don't have the first clue what we actually have done in the past well yeah i think and you know i think a lot of like high school history educations uh they make it to world war ii and then it's pretty much a speed speed it's so true yeah it's so like true it's world war ii and then that made the u.s a superpower and that's what we are today and so well, it's like nothing yeah. happened in the next you know what's crazy years. about it is like so i've been out of high school for tw almost 25 years okay and the um the scope of our history classes really hasn't changed much yeah. since then. And it's like, okay, there's been 20, like, like we were lucky if we made it up to like the Iran hostage situation. Like that yeah. was sort of like, if you made it to 1980, you were doing really, really good. Right. And it's like, 
um, you know, 25 more years of history have, have been piled on top of that. And as far as I know, now I think they do a better job. Like at my school, I think, you know, if any of, you know, our history teachers are listening, they can correct me, but I mean, it seems like they do pretty well. I mean, um, but it's like right now they are in, I believe they're in the great depression is all. And that's, and that's scripted. That's not a, they're behind or something like that's where they're supposed to be right now, halfway through the year. And so, um, you know, I think the idea is maybe to get up through, you know, like 2000 ish, you know, but it's like, it's like, man, like, I don't know if the scope has changed all that much. And, you know, and, and, uh, you know, the world sure has changed a lot in the last 25 years. Um, so yeah, it's, you know, and we only go back so far too. We really focus on, um, you know, in terms of our, of our country's history. It's essentially, yeah. It's basically the civil war on really for most of the history. Well, they they do. Uh, yeah. Like I think it's like Columbus landed, uh, slave trade started, Revolutionary War happened, Civil, Civil War, War happened, uh, yeah, Industrial Revolution, World War One, World War Two, or Great Depression, World War Two, and then yeah. if we got time, we're gonna go, uh, yeah, Korean War, eh. yeah, Vietnam War, eh. yeah, yeah, that's really only really this, complicated. <laughs> only this extremely long protracted <laughs> conflict that the U.S. was involved in, right. Yeah, um that had a huge 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 impact on society in the 60s and 70s but um and beyond but you know Even until today but yeah. you okay. know um but you know but yeah i mean i you know I, I i went as far as student teaching and i looked at those uh you know state requirements of what i wanted to what i want what, what they what we had to cover and um that was kind of it for me. I was like, nah, I don't want to do this. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it's, it's like a lot of things we do, um, in, in public education, you know, it's, we're just so limited by what, um, it, it, by time really. Yeah. You know, I, I'm an English teacher. People know that from, if they've been listening, um, and, you know, I've always said that, I mean, so if you think about your college, you know, those of you who are listening, I imagine most of you went to college. Um, if you're listening to a podcast about college sports, for the, at least Wazoo for the most part, because we don't have a lot of T-shirt fans. But, you know, if you think about your college experience, um, particularly with English, you know, your English, your English classes are not English classes the way they are in high school. In other words, um writing and reading are split basically right Right. i mean you're you're taking literature classes you're taking composition classes and they're not they're not the same class and you know for me as as an english teacher that's one of the things i struggle with the most is that you know we are they've sort of thrown a whole bunch of communication disciplines into one class basically and it's english class in high school you know some schools call it language arts and which is and they do that because it's that's much more accurate um as to what we do you know we're teaching reading literary texts and reading informational texts and writing about those in multiple different modes and we're also talking about speaking and we're also talking about listening and it's just like you know those are all things that fall under the purview of of the english curriculum and so um it's it's there's just not enough time in the year to teach all of those things well. 
And, you know, I'm sure that the history teachers feel the exact same way. It's like, yeah, like there's all these super interesting things Then you know, and you go to college and it's like, well, you might take a college course that spends an entire semester focusing on like a war, right? Is that, so, you know, yeah, I took a class in college that focused on the Vietnam conflict. Obviously it goes back, you know, beyond the U.S. involvement, but, uh, so, um, kind of a big part of it was a long, uh, Per the long uh, French occupation of Vietnam. And um, it's funny because uh, that, which is not a thing that, you know, I, I would say a lot of Americans don't, don't know that uh, the U.S. sort of took over, uh, took over this French, um, uh, took over this French uh, sort of uh, uh, ownership or whatever uh, occupation of Vietnam. And, and it, it became the, you know, the, they they essentially the U.S. essentially absorbed the problem from them, but there's there's a thing uh, like I remember uh, we got we got a recommendation we were in Chicago I was, uh, Amanda was with me in Chicago and we got a recommendation for a restaurant and it was a French Vietnamese restaurant and Amanda was like what what is that like French Vietnamese and I was like yeah the yeah the French colonized right. Vietnam for a long time and so they they this style of food is a thing now <laughs> you know this. Much like, you know, curry is very popular in England, you know. Right, <laughs> so, exactly. Um, uh, it was like the, the original globalization was colonization. So um, it, it, it's, it's interesting. Like, but anyway, so yeah, we took, so that course is just basically on the history of, uh, you know, Europeans in the West involved in Vietnam. Um, and then you get very, you, know, you get very much into, it's really more, and and the, and the type of history taken, uh, history classes, as you get deeper into uh, uh, into a history major, it's not about uh, facts and figures and, and things that happen. Like it's more about uh, the ideas, ideologies, the political movements, the you know uh, um, you know the the impact on society, that um, the impact on the everyday person, uh, the impact on you know uh, governments and everything. So it's not really about you know, memorizing the 50 states or, you know, right. knowing the, the, uh, the, uh, the chief export of Lebanon or something. Yeah. So it's a, yeah, it's, it's, it's a different thing than a different education, uh, that, and I, I remember as a, my one, uh, year of student teach semester of student teaching, I tried to incorporate some of that, um, sort of broader thinking, deeper thinking, more critical thinking into, because to me, I think uh, there's a lot of kids that come out of high school aren't, aren't great writers, and you see that. I'm sure you see that. I don't know if you're on the front <laughs> line with that. Yeah. And, and so I, 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 I think, you know, history is a great uh, class where kids can learn how to write um, because there's things, to, interesting things to write about, and, uh, and kind of the ideas and potential is limitless on things they can write about. And so I was trying to kind of, well, that was my idea. I'm like, oh. I'm going to make it a writing class that incorporates history. Oh man, that, that backfired massively. I'll tell you that much. The kids were not used to that. The curriculum was not ready for that. And it was pretty interesting. And that, that was, like I said, that was the end of it for me. Yeah. And it's, you know, like I can't obviously speak to every school, um, but I can speak to my school and, you know, our history teachers, our social studies teachers, man, they are like, they are super smart, really knowledgeable 
very, well, very thoughtful people. Well, yeah, you know? it's, it's such a competitive, like that major, that, that, so how it is in Washington state is to teach a, you have to have the almost pretty much the equivalent of a major at this point in, in, in something, or unless you were grandfathered in, in the past, but um, yep. you pretty much have to have the equivalent of a major in something. And, uh, history is the, probably the most common, uh, with to, to go along with, because you get a history degree and you're like, what, what the hell am I going to do with a history degree? And they go, Oh, I can be a teacher. And so, uh, or, or they're like, oh, I want to be a teacher, uh, but I can't do math. I don't want to do that. And so they, they, you know, I don't want to do science. So they go into history. And so it's extremely competitive. Like it, it, it's really hard to get a history teaching job. Like it, it, it's probably, and so you see, yeah. So the, in, you know, what you see is it's to, to me, from my perspective, it's, it's either like, yeah, these super smart, like they very knowledgeable people. And then there's also the, you know, maybe they were hired to be a football coach. And so they put them in history type thing. To have <laughs> yeah. There's a few of those. We've got a few coaches in our, uh, in our history department, but, but even, you know, those guys, those guys are smart too. Like they, they just, they're really thoughtful people and they just are sort of neutered by the, by the curriculum really. Yeah, I mean, there's really just, are, there's yeah. only so deep, you know, you can go, you know, I find that I have some of that same problem in English too, where like, I want to take a book and like, let's like really, really dig at it. And you know, there's just, or it's, you know, so I decide I want to like really, really dig at the book. Well, that, that maybe ends up excluding maybe other pieces of, you know, companion literature that I could bring in, um, you know, to sort of enhance their understanding of that. You know, there's only so many things you can read. Right. Um, and it's actually why, so we're going to a new curriculum next year that um, it, I, I believe is not requiring any novels at all, which is sort of like a, for a lot of adults, it's like a, like a gasp moment, right? Yeah. Like, oh, no, wait, what? You're not reading any novels. But the idea is, I, I believe anyway, to, you know, to be able to expose kids to more stuff, mm-hmm. um, you know, where, okay, so short stories and excerpts and poems and you know, maybe hopefully make them a little more well-rounded, um, in terms of literature and then make the, make the novels maybe a, uh, like sort of an adjunct piece. Um, you know, and I don't know what the right way is, but I do know that, you know, when you only get six hours a day to teach them and, you know, you only get each kid for less than an hour, um, and homework is sort of a, um, that's a whole nother topic for a lot of people, but, you know, homework is a thing that most kids won't do, um, and, yep. and I, you know, and I, and, you know, again, that's a whole nother topic. We can talk about homework on another podcast, but, you know, that's just sort of part of the reality. Um, you know, it's just, it just makes it real hard to go, to go very deep. And so you, you accomplish what you can and try to cover all the things that you can and, um, and, and just really do the best with the, with the time that you've been given. Yeah. And, and knowing what presidents on or Matt Rushmore doesn't fucking matter. So don't like if you exactly. only, only got that limited amount of time. That's right. Something else. Don't waste <laughs> it on something stupid like who's on a stupid monument. Yeah, like yeah. So <laughs> there will be a quiz on Friday, kids. Who's on the Mount? Who's on Mount Rushmore? Yeah. Make sure to study for that. <laughs> yeah, it's so worth a hundred points. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, uh, yeah, uh, we're, we're skipping the pop culture segment today. Um, 
I'll I'll just give it to you in a 30 second 10 second synopsis. Uh, I discovered what bitmojis are. If you don't know what they are, I was pretty much forced to by a co- coworker. Um, but now I'm obsessed with them and I use them all the time. Um, but <laughs> go look it up if you don't know what it is. Uh, yeah. But, Somebody said welcome to 2015. Yeah, some my my coworker said welcome to 2015, which was perfectly accurate. Actually, and, more uh, accurate would be like welcome to 20, 2009 or something. But yeah, and of course I discovered Bitmoji right after that. Yeah. Thanks to you guys. So, so Jeff and I so have yeah. sent Bitmojis to each other. So we've both now joined uh, something that was cool four years ago. Yeah. And we send our Bitmojis back and forth and laugh at each other and. Yeah. 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 All right. Um. Yeah, so uh, kids, um, the kids section. Uh, so uh, B is going through, like, B probably had the grumpiest day ever today. Like, she just was not having it. So uh, we cooked some, uh, and it was not, I have no cook, I, have, I don't have this cooking prowess. It, it was tikka masala, but it was like a jar of tikka masala sauce. Uh, that we mix with some chicken and put over rice for dinner. Um, I put in, uh, because usually that stuff's pretty mild when you get it from the store. Um, So I put in quite a lot of uh, red pepper flakes when I simmered it with the chicken. And uh, B was eating, like, she was pretty grouch all day. So, like, she was eating this, and she was being kind of grouchy, you know, whining. And we thought, oh, like, this might be too hot for her because it was pretty hot. Like I, I went a little heavy handed with the pepper flakes. Um, you know, I made, I took it up, <laughs> took it up from a level two to a level three, maybe, uh, or three stars, you know? Um, and she, but what we figured out is she had this and some broccoli and she usually really likes broccoli, honestly, cause she's not in the, she's not old enough to hate everything yet. Um, I know that's coming, but, uh, but I think that she had decided that the hotness was coming from the broccoli because she refused to eat the broccoli and she would just keep eating this uh, food that had to be hot to her. It was pretty, it was like spicy to me and it was spicy to Amanda. So it had to be spicy to her. She probably the spiciest thing she's ever eaten. And, and, and she, but she, ref, she just wanted to eat the rice and the chicken and the sauce and she refused to eat the broccoli like, because every time we try to hand it to her, she would flip out and throw her fork and, well, she doesn't fork herself. We fork it and we hand it to her. She tries to. She just doesn't have the dexterity yet. But, um, uh, yeah, so we, we uh, yeah, so she's just freaking out. But you just keep giving her, and you can see kind of the snot running out of her nose a little bit from, from the heat. And she just keeps eating the chicken. And she just, and, and keeps thinking that the broccoli is, is, is the, uh the uh the evil thing and it's funny though once she gets done with the chicken she's still hungry and just eats all the broccoli after that so um amanda was sneaking broccoli into bites and she wasn't noticing it but if she did see it she would she would grab it and throw it away (laughs) um so yeah this is just uh you know the the ravings of a 15 month old um but yeah so that that's what what uh uh she she's been up to that's funny we used to like with our kids when uh um when they would use potty mouths or when they would um you know get a little sassy and start talking back and this was when they were real young and reasoning doesn't totally work 
um, we would warn them that we were going to put hot sauce on their tongue. <laughs> and so we, it only, that only happened, only had to happen a couple times. That never happened again. You know, you just take like a teeny tiny, like little teeny tiny dab of like Tabasco sauce and like put it on your fingertip and then like, and then actually like wipe some of it like off, most of it off. And then all you gotta do is like touch your finger to their tongue for like just barely. And that is like just enough. And they're just like, ah, 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 you know, so anyway, that, that definitely, uh, that definitely accomplished the purpose. So I, uh, I didn't have any funny kid stories this week, but your story reminded me of that when, uh, all it took was one time. And then all you got to say is, should I get the hot sauce? Oh no, no hot sauce, daddy, no hot sauce. Okay. All right. <laughs> You know, hopefully that's not child abuse or something, but, uh, I promise it's just a teeny, teeny, tiny, tiny amount. The just food. enough. Just enough. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I'm training her early and that's not going to work for me. I keep giving this spicy Indian food. Yeah, I know. <laughs> she's going to be like, she's going to be like those guys in my fraternity who like dumped the entire bottle of Tabasco sauce on their food. Cause they couldn't actually taste any of the spiciness anymore. I don't know if you have any friends like that. Well, I was, I used to go real, real, real spicy. Um, and then, uh, there, I, there's a specific like inflection point that I can remember. We were in a, a Thai restaurant in in uh, in Vermont of all places, and it, everyone loved this place. You bring your own beer, and their food was pretty good. And we think that they like. I ordered something that was only like three stars out of five, which at a Thai restaurant could be pretty variable, even by the day at right. the restaurant. But this day, um, and Amanda had ordered something that was only two, and typically both things we could handle. And that day, they just I think like ramped it up and like we are we were dying like we we brought like a couple bottles of beer um you know and those were gone immediately and and the water was just flowing not fast enough and we were just dying and it was just a miserable experience so there was a long time when i was just like kind of afraid to eat hot stuff and so was amanda so you know we 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 you know go the you know, no higher than like two star route uh, if if we're getting, uh, you know, uh, Indian food or Thai food or or what you know what other types of food that have that option, um, and but I always put hot sauce on my stuff, but uh, I've I've been kind of rounding back up uh, to eating spicier and spicier things. When I went to uh, Singapore and Malaysia uh, last uh, last fall. Uh, that kind of uh, necessitated that I handle some spicier food because a lot of the food, a lot of the good food there is very spicy, and and if you if 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 you want to try it, then you got to handle it. And and so now now I'm kind of getting back to that point where I just wanted to be spicy, and I think that's how we ended up in this predict because I poured a, I poured some flakes in, I stirred it, and I'm like that doesn't look like enough, and I just kept pouring them in, and I'm like I'm probably gonna regret this later. <laughs> yeah and, and uh b was the one that took the brunt of that um, hopefully she doesn't blame broccoli forever but uh because her her beloved chicken could never do that to her no no all right well uh we we, we ran down the list 
Um, we did. We've made it to the end. Yeah. So um, once again, if you like listening to this, please subscribe. Uh, then it'll get automatically downloaded for you or whatever, sent to whatever device you want. Um, give us ratings. I saw we had a we had one five star rating on iTunes. Yes. I was very yes. excited. Uh, how about let's let's make it two. Um, if yeah. you're listening, I'm talking Go, to you. Go. Uh, yeah. Um, so uh, once again, if you're not going to give a five star rating, then whatever, don't give us a rating. <laughs> yeah. But but again, if, you, if you've got nothing nice to say, then don't say anything at all. That's what kids should be learning in school. That's yeah. See, that's that's what we should be doing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, subscribe, like us. Uh, obviously, you can catch it on Coog Center. I I know a lot of you do because I look at the uh, the stats on the even though I don't care, uh, but I, I look at the the stats and a lot of it is browser based uh, listening. So I know a lot of y'all are listening on Coog Center, which is cool because uh, that's probably how you know us anyway. Um, but yeah, if you listen to it other ways, uh, hit subscribe and uh, that'll make it uh, make us. Uh, feel better about ourselves yeah which is important yeah exactly even though we don't even though we don't care yeah we don't care though yeah so um yeah thanks for listening uh that's all we have for you and we will be talking to you next week peace out